Welcome to the Making Kids Count podcast brought to you by Kentucky Youth Advocates, where we sit down with policymakers, community leaders, and youth to discuss ideas to make Kentucky the best place to be young. Now here's your host, Terry Brooks. You will remember last week that we began a three-part series on the 2022 General Assembly. Uh, Last week, uh, we sort of gave you the KYA perspective. Uh, I know we've also distributed uh, an op-ed that uh, that we did for the Courier, uh, as well as blog posts to summarize. Uh, We will be following today's conversation with another forum with Senator uh, McGarvey and Representative Jenkins, uh, to give the the D side of the of the perspective today, uh, Senator Westerfield will be joining us as soon as court ends, and we have Senator Rocky Adams and Representative Timoney uh, to join us. So thanks to uh, both Killian and Julie for joining us. Uh, I'm sure this will shock y'all. We did not put the name of every legislator in a hat and randomly draw out Representative Timoney. Senator Rocky Adams and Senator Westerfield. We could have done it and I would have cheated, but I just, you know, just need to be honest that what we looked at were voices that kids can count on. Uh, Just as a very quick intro, uh, Representative Timoney is like, you know, in sports, you always have like newcomer of the year or the guy to watch. Man in the house, this is the guy to watch for kids. Uh, What I so appreciated this year was there were absolutely terrible pieces of legislation. Uh, I call it the, uh, I call it bratcherism. Uh, You can draw your own conclusion on that. Uh, And Representative Timoney was the one guy that consistently stood up, made important comments and asked important questions. Uh, In Senator Rocky Adams, y'all know that historically uh, Kentucky kids have not had a better ally or a smarter ally or a tougher ally than Julie. Uh, this year, uh, two things happened. One is that she, uh, and along with Whitney, played great defense on bad, bad bills. And the second thing that uh, that Senator Rocky Adams did was led what probably is the, there's there was some good pieces of legislation passed despite our concerns. Mahek detailed those last year in areas of early childhood, maltreatment, uh, a number of uh, support for uh, mental and behavioral health at school. So, so there were good activities, but I think the most omnibus far reaching piece of legislation was Senate bill eight, which really affected the entire spectrum of child welfare. And that was JRA's effort. So uh, Killian and Julie, thanks so much for joining us and thanks what you do for kids every day. So I want to start with a, a, a broad opening question. And then I want to get some specifics in terms of some trend lines that we saw. Uh, I was on Kentucky Tonight and had done my riff. And Renee Shaw uh, asked, she said, it it seems to me you're suggesting that the General Assembly was schizophrenic when it came to kids. Uh, I've been told by my colleagues that I can't use that term, but I can say that the General Assembly had multiple personalities when it came to kids. So Maybe Senator Rocky Adams, I'm going to start with you. Uh, When you're thinking about the General Assembly, uh, you don't have to say you had multiple personalities, but I'd like sort of a macro view of what happened, because I've said consistently that while a lot of good things happened, we saw some troubling trends. So it was a very much yin and yang session. So talk, talk a little bit about what you saw going on, Julie. 
Well, yeah, Terry, and you know, that's a, oh, thanks. You know, I'm happy to be here. You know, I love being on your um, advocacy calls and I, um, I think all your, your members are, are pretty fabulous. Um, and, but yeah, we, we had a couple of moments that really caused me to have some pause and, um, you know, it seems to be there were, we're always struggling with this issue of parental rights and, and I, and I remember sitting in leadership one day and saying to the other four members of our leadership team, and I said, when have you ever felt as if your parental rights were infringed upon or challenged? And they said, well, you know, we don't feel that way. And I said, so, so if the five of us in this room don't feel as if our parental rights are being infringed upon, why are we promoting a bill that that goes so far in the parental rights category that we can't protect those that are very vulnerable, that are our most vulnerable. You know, I'm like, we just got finished passing Senate Bill 8, which was such a comprehensive view of how we do child welfare and child maltreatment better in this state. And then it was as if we're erasing all of that effort by saying, oh, well, if the parent decides that they're in charge, then they get to be in charge. Well, what if they're a bad parent? What if they're an addicted parent? What if they're a, a parent that molests? What if they're, you know, at some point we have to say enough is enough and we have to stand up for kids and we have to stand up for prevention so that we can um, make these families better, make these families whole. And so I, I get what you're saying that it's, it, we just got finished passing Senate Bill 8, and then we throw it all out the window with passing the parental rights bill that had no protections involved in it. So it was frustrating, okay. but you got to just keep fighting the fight. Yeah. Representative, what about the House view of this? You know, um, I, I, one of the things that I, b before I got to Frankfurt, I, I, I promised myself and I promised my wife that I wouldn't hold back if there were things that were that were inside that I needed to, to, to get out. And I, I would go, we, we made some major strides with the mental health piece for kids, mm -hmm. you know, um, uh, you know, in, some interesting feedback we received about the, the moment of silence bill to start of every day. Um, and, you know, I voted for that very strong advocate for mindfulness moments of mindfulness. Um, my building is right next door to Lafayette high school and Lafayette High School it leads the state in having a very mindful school building. They take a moment of mindfulness to start every day where they intentionally start about to have positive thinking, positive thoughts, positive interactions. Um, they have seen a tremendous response just in the mental health piece there. Um, students feeling like their needs are being addressed. So I felt really strong about that. And I'm going to go into a topic that is very, very controversial and uh, across the state and it, and it passed the House and the Senate, you know, the the um, the save women's sports bill, the, the trans athletes bill. Um, for me, I voted against that bill, um, mostly because there's a mental health piece in our trans community that needs to be addressed right now. We're crisis level. Um, Fifty percent of trans students have had suicidal ideation within the past two years. Okay, we're gonna do a moment of mindfulness to start the school day, but here we have identified, we have data behind a, uh, 
a group of students who are screaming for help. Um, I, I know firsthand a whole lot of, I have, I don't have anecdotal evidence. I have very, very factual evidence. Um, there is a, I hate to say this, there's a tent community on the north side of town and the percentage of kids under the age of 18 that live in that tent community um, that are, that are trans students, um, they're homeless because their families don't know how to handle it. Um, they're not accepted at home. They're not accepted at church. They're not accepted in different places. So they're lost. And that's the number one category of kids that are sold into <coughs> trafficking, human trafficking, something that we all despise. So to say that we were, you know, kind of going back and forth for me, currently the Kentucky High School Athletic Association does not allow trans athletes to compete unless they have the full complete surgery and two years of hormone suppression. We have the strictest high school participation rule in the country. We, we were frowned upon 10 years ago when they passed it. So currently that bill will impact zero high school kids because there's already one in place. So for me, I use that bill. I use that opportunity to address the concerns that I have about the mental health of that particular group. Um, we have identified mental health as a, a, a critical, critical need. Um, you know, we have, uh, and we're not just talking about kids. We're talking about the whole spectrum. Um, veterans, farmers, um, trial attorneys. I mean, you name it. And there, there are studies being done on suicide rates there. So we have accepted that mental health is a critical, critical piece. But in that particular bill, I felt like that that would have um, impacted the one group, the middle school group, the middle school group of kids that would have been able to participate on their sports teams at their schools, um, not competing for scholarships, not, you know, none of those things that were, um, that were, that were stated. Um, as a former middle school principal, I know that that time period is about adjustment. It's about fitting in. It's about being part of a community. And the best way as a former coach and athletic director, I know the best way to do that is put them on a sports team. So, um, so to, to answer your question in a very, very long roundabout way and a very probably controversial way, um, that's why I agree with you on that one. The mental health piece was something where I felt like we were made strides. And then in other areas, we, we didn't necessarily take the necessary steps we could have. Yeah. Well, thanks so much to both of you for that. You both hit, uh, we are pushing, and, and I've shared this with colleagues, uh, we're pushing three big questions that emanated from the session. And you both, you interestingly both touched on, uh, each of you touched on one of them. So I wanna tag on to what Senator Rocky Adams asked about. Uh, one of the uh, conundrums that we have leaving the session is that historically, uh, Kentucky lawmakers have stood really strong against what I would call national template pieces. Uh, and that happens all the time. I talked to a former colleague who is in Massachusetts. In Massachusetts, their General Assembly gets uh, templates from the left to, to pass in Boston. Uh, Frankfurt gets templates from the right. Uh, this year, we saw more national proposals job shopped in Kentucky than we ever have. Uh, Senator Rocky Adams referenced SB 40. Uh, 
there were 44 states that had identical legislation filed on parental rights. And you either believe in uh, intellectual spontaneous combustion that lawmakers in Mississippi, Missouri, Montana, and Frankfurt all had the same ideas at the same time, or you believe that a national group in Colorado is shopping that. Uh, in the House, HB7 clearly emanates from a group in Florida. Uh, identical legislation was filed in 23 states. Uh, we know that group's philosophy is you hire a prominent uh, Kentucky lobbyist to join your staff, and then you hire high-profile lobbyists who make significant political action contributions, and they work the bill. Uh, we saw two things happen. Uh, one was that, fortunately, SB 40 did not live to fruition. And we also saw, frankly, uh, despite I don't think people have given them credit, Speaker Osborne, Representative Meade, and Senator Givens all weighed in with significant improvements on HB 7. We, I have concerns about unintended consequences, but it's a lot better bill now than it was when it began. So I'm, I'm curious, and we could cite other, we could cite other national job shops. Uh, the transgender issue uh, representative that you mentioned clearly is a national agenda item. So I, I'm wondering if you could talk about the pressures, uh, how that even happens. How does a group in Colorado or a group in Florida, uh, how do they get in a position to literally write signature legislation in Kentucky? And Representative, I don't know if you want to begin by offering observations on that. I, I don't have a whole lot to offer there. I will tell you one of the things before I got to Frankfurt, one of the things as a former teacher, we do not plagiarize. We have to cite sources. <laughs> that's a great, that's a great quote. <laughs> and I will say in, in a political sense, in a political sense, um, I, I feel like Kentucky is such a unique place that it bothers me whenever we, we get a carbon copy. We have to craft legislation that's specific to us and our needs. And that's that's one of the things. The topics could still be the same, but the so that that's just a, a, a small a small bias I have, but I can't contribute a whole lot to the to the other piece. Um you know, I'm still, you know, finished my first session. So I'm still looking maybe not six inches in front of my face, maybe 12 inches. But um, the, I, the, the, the good senator um, from Louisville probably has got a little bit more perspective there yeah. than I do. You, you have given us our tagline for next year. Do not plagiarize. Do not <laughs> plagiarize policy. So, Julie, you were absolutely vital in, frankly, playing defense against SB 40. And you were also, I have a feeling, uh, carried high levels of influence in uh, those final amendments that got filed on HB7. So you certainly are aware of national political pressures that are brought on leadership, uh, use of high-powered lobbyists and money. Uh, talk a little bit about that scene. Yeah, and Terry, I think that's um, kind of a really insightful thing to get into um, because a lot of times if you if you're just a regular citizen and you're frustrated, you know, there's a lot of people who, who believe in one issue. There's a lot of people who participate in one issue. And um, these national groups do an excellent job of tapping into those individuals. And so they also tap into states that they feel are very fertile as far as um, reaping some uh, benefits. 
Kentucky is a red state. It's known as being a conservative state. It's known as being a rural state. It's known as being a religious state. And so that makes us very attractive for some national groups who are funded with, you know, national money. Um, and so they find a home here. And then they also find, um, a, you know, a home with certain legislators. And, and here's the other thing that I, I think I have kind of an appreciation for more than I did before. But a lot of the legislators that latch on to these kind of national initiatives are really true believers. I mean, they really honestly believe that they are doing the right thing. And they believe that this is the, the correct course of action for them. And, it, and a lot of times it resonates really well in their particular district. Um, these kinds of things are not real popular in my area. And, um, you know, I, I guess maybe my life experience, I've seen things where um, I wish I hadn't seen things. I've heard stories about families you know, who have been traumatized by one thing or another, but there are really communities in Kentucky that are so homogeneous that they, they don't know that those things go on. And, um, and so on one hand, it's really frustrating that, that I think policies that are very detrimental for children um, have taken hold, but it's not, it's not out of the realm of understanding that it can happen. Um, and it's, and I'll tell you, these national groups are very dangerous because it is one size fits all. And if I know something that Kentucky is very different than Ohio and Ohio is very different than California. Yeah, no, that, that's great. Just an observation, just to share with, with everybody on a colleague and I were at a, at a, we were meeting with senior leadership at a faith community recently, uh, along with the, the face it effort. And uh, it was so stunning to me because they actually had been given uh, a talking piece for SB 40, uh, Julie, that yes. was totally, totally misrepresented the deal. Yes. And they were pushing it for all the right reasons. So that notion of miscommunication as to intent is alive and well. Uh, Representative, yep. uh, you brought up another one where I'm just confused. Because for so long, what we heard from supermajority leadership was the answer to all policy questions were local control. Uh, what we were told when this group uh, said, could Kentucky not be a place where adults hit kids with inanimate objects while they're in school? What we were told consistently was, well, I personally am against corporal punishment but local control, I, I can't tell a school not to hit a kid because that violates local control. This year, we saw on one hand uh, issues of masks. Well, that's just local control. Uh, when it came to other areas, we saw the opposite. Uh, you know, I think one of the best pieces of legislation that has been passed was SB1 uh, from a couple of years ago uh, that uh, the late Bam Carney and Senator Wise led around school resiliency uh, this year, uh, because it gave principals and superintendents lots of control. Uh, this year, Representative Bratcher and ultimately the House and Senate all said, actually, Frankfurt knows best. Despite that research doesn't support it, despite that lots of principals don't want it, all of you are getting an SRO. 
whether it fits your school or not. We're taking school safety out of your hands. Uh, that same thing happened uh, in, in another area. And, and Julie, you're familiar with this. Uh, Senator Schroeder was carrying a bill that was so commonsensical, no mandate. It simply said that if a local community wanted to regulate advertising uh, among tobacco and tobacco-related products, they could do it. The intent was to make sure that if a community did not want e-cigs marketed as cherry slush uh, across the street from Lafayette High School, that they could do it. That didn't even get a hearing. Now, we've tracked down that Big Tobacco spent over $200,000 in lobbying to defeat that one bill. So big money does talk in Frankfurt. Uh, so on one hand, we still see local control. On the other hand, we see we don't like local control when we don't want to like local control. So I'm just kind of curious, both in terms of your assessment, but also in our future advocacy. Uh, is local control still a North Star or is only a convenient uh, vehicle uh, to build an argument? And I don't know, uh, Julie, you want to tackle that one first and then we'll go to the representative? Yeah, and the, the truth is, Terry, you're exactly right. We are for local control until we're not for local control. And, um, and you know, I, I guess it's the best way to say it is it's convenient when it's convenient. There's also, and it, but to, to kind of, you know, give some, you know, a pat on the back to the legislature, not really a pat on the back, but to, to give some deference to the legislature, we have a bandwidth issue. And so we can say that we're for local control until we're not for local control. But when you have, I think, and Killian can tell me this, over 900 bills filed in the House, and I think we had 400 filed in the Senate. I mean, we've got real bandwidth issues. And so one of the things that I always say to groups, and that is, give me your top two, and let's file bills on that. And then we can file some bills to put out there to have some public comment on but, you know, I, we've even gotten to the point in our caucus where we're like, hey, you know, when you sit down in front of leadership, tell us what your number one priority is. And let's do that. So let's try mm -hmm. to do that. You know, it, it's not the amount of bills that we need to be thinking about passing. It's the quality of the bill that we need to pass. And when you have that many bills filed, I mean, that's really difficult to sift through. So sometimes the local control ones bubble up and sometimes they don't. Um, and unfortunately, um, Will Schroeder's bill did not bubble up this time. And I, I, I really believe it's just to bandwidth. OK, that's a good point. Representative, what about it? Is the House for or against local control or it depends on the issue? Well, I, you know, uh, I would agree 100 um, percent with Julie on this because um, we've uh, we've had that discussion and I quite a few times in caucus meetings, it's, it, this is local control. This, this is a local control issue. Yeah. But, and, and to, <laughs> yeah, know, but. Julie said everything, right. I mean, it's a convenience thing. And, and I, I can't agree with her more when she said, um, you know, about the, the number of bills and the bandwidth issue. Um, I, I think the fewer bills, the more quality conversations you can have. I mean, 900 bills just out of the house. I mean, we're, 
small government also, you know, we're not going <laughs> to over, overly regulate. Yeah. And then, you know, and then, we, you know, we pump out 900 and yeah. um, it's, it's dizzying for me as, as a, you know, a, a citizen legislator, you know, trying to wade through all of that. And, you know, luckily for me, um, I, I just, anytime I get concerns about the Senate, all I look for is Julie's name on a bill and I know I'm voting for it. So <laughs> I just focus on those. Yeah, that's good. advocating for those. But um, on our side, you know, I, you know, there's a mindset too, is when, whenever it's a, a volume game, it's almost, you, you know, cause even within, even within caucus, you know, the, there's different people on the spectrum in different places. Mm-hmm. So sometimes bills are filed in defense of other bills that are being filed. Yeah. Yep. So that, you know, th- that's not a good thing either. Um, so it's, you know, and, and one thing that, um, and I'll say this to, you know, the local control piece, you know, the, it's been, it was said a couple of times, um, on the floor, you know, I can't think of a better or a more local control than parent choice. And sure. I agree with that, but I think that one of the concepts that we're trying to do here is, is we have the common good of the Commonwealth. And if you like in that particular conversation, it had to do with schools. And I, I agree with that mindset that the parent is probably the most local control if you homeschool. However, if you send your child out into the community, then it's the next level up is local control. That's how you, we can't just say me, me, me. Like we have to operate within the community and we have to kind of struggle to determine where those lines are. But when, when you send your kids out, it's that next level and the next level and the next level. So while I agree with the local control, like my, my three sons, they, they don't like local control. <laughs> they would rather have the community control. But, um, you know, my wife's a, 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 school, you know, a school counselor and I'm a former principal. So, you know, our kids get away with nothing. Um, <laughs> but uh, um, I, I think that that's a really important um, mindset to think is this it's this and, and it's across the country, this concept of me versus we mm-hmm. the individual rights, the rights of the family versus our rights as a community and where mine stop your start and where does that go? And that, that line between them, you know, that's what, you know, Julie and I are trying to figure out. It's just keep those lines clear and keep them as equitable and, and, and fair as possible and then move forward. That's the other thing is this move, this concept of moving forward. Um, a lot of the discussions are, you know, it, you know, they're, we're going to be dealing with COVID much long after the pandemic is, is officially over and, and whatnot. And, it, and it's that concept of where my rights end and yours begin. I think that, that that conversation will continue. And I think COVID was, a, was a, a big catalyst for those conversations. Okay, great. Thanks. I think the judge must have called Senator Westerfield's case because I think I saw him pop up. So, Welcome, Senator. Glad to have you. We've been talking about uh, what Renee Shaw called the schizophrenia of the 2022 General Assembly. Uh, We've been talking about is local control a North Star or it's only a convenience. Uh, We've talked about the impact of uh, national uh, groups. Uh, But you came on perfectly because part of what I wanted to do is delve into uh, the good news for us on this call 
and SB8 represents this, Julie. I think that child welfare went from a very bifurcated uh, environment to uh, a very unified approach. Uh, and I think there's two or three issues that are still bifurcated. Uh, and I'm, I'm looking for your uh, observations, advice, and future direction. I'm going to start with one, Whitney, that obviously you're, you know, you're at the center of, and that is juvenile justice. So again, just as I talked about Julie and Killian's contributions to 2022, I just need to share with you that, that no one was more important in fighting off an absolutely terrible juvenile justice bill that we got from the House. Uh, Representative Bratcher's bill would have fundamentally rolled back the 2014 bill that Whitney and then, Senate, then Representative Tilly had architected that is a national model. So whereas we thought there was unified progress heading towards smart juvenile justice, uh, I'm really worried, Whitney, that we now are seeing this tough on crime instead of smart on crime again, uh, that we're overreacting to headlines. And uh, I'm going to talk about this, hopefully early childhood and also uh, racial equity issues before we get out of here, because I see those as three big divisive arenas right now. So you want to square off with what the heck is going on in juvenile justice, where we've gone from so unified and thoughtful to so reactionary and negative, uh, at least coming from some voices in the House. Yeah, well, first, uh, how dare you? Uh, secondly, <laughs> um, uh, I, th I think there's some, there's some good news, and I think there's some bad news. First, I want to say uh, that I appreciate the, the, the thanks to me, but a great deal of thanks an enormous amount of thanks that goes to Senate Majority our Senate Majority Caucus Chairwoman Julie Rocky Adams, who is here in this meeting too. Julie is in the leadership group uh, and was able to say things on my behalf and on behalf of juveniles everywhere uh, to help stop House Bill Three Eighteen uh, from moving forward any further than it did. And I couldn't have done it without Julie, uh, so I want to thank her specifically for that. And I don't want to. This isn't to bad mouth or, to, or disparage Kevin Bratcher, who I really like and I get along with well, and I think he means well. And he he told me, Whitney, this is not an area I work in. I don't know the issues, but I'm doing what I'm being asked to do. I think there are some folks who uh, continue to disagree with what our reforms were conceptually back in 2014. And they are a national model. They've been used in a half a dozen other states, red states, blue states and purple states alike. Uh, whole chunks of Senate Bill 200 have been used there, and I'm proud of that. And it's done a lot of good right here in Kentucky. The bill would have undone a lot of that and would have gone further in some places. Uh, and even the advocates for it admitted that not all of the parts of that bill have anything to do with violent crime. Uh, so the bad news is that there are some elements that that want to do it. The good news is I don't think most of those are in the legislature. Uh, I think there are a lot of folks in the legislature who feel that way if they're given an opportunity to do it. And I think there were enough political maneuvers to get that bill in a position where it got some attention. Uh, it, there was a bill, uh, there was another bill came from the House and I'm drawing a blank on bill number and it wasn't about juvenile justice. But when, when given the opportunity, I think it's very easy for particularly the Republican majorities that I'm part of. Uh, to vote on things that make them look like they're tough on crime instead of being smart on it. 
And so we've we've always had to work really hard to make sure those sorts of things didn't bubble up and be teed up for action because it's too easy for them to act when the bill is like that. So I don't think there's anything different in that regard. The environment is the same as it was in 2014, um, but one got through. Uh, thankfully, it didn't get all the way through and we were able to stop it. And I offered to the folks at Louisville Metro Government and the folks at Pegasus, the folks at Pegasus I'm normally aligned with, and I told them they were wrong on this bill because they are, they remain wrong. Uh, they claim to think that some juvenile crime is exploding around the state in Jefferson County, and I don't think the numbers bear that out at all. Um, but I offered to them back before the bill was uh, stealthily taken from my committee and moved to another committee that I'll sit down and I'll drive Louisville if that's what you want me to do. Let's sit down and work through it this interim this summer to try to do something that actually will result in a positive impact on the juvenile uh, uh, crime that you are seeing and making sure all the pieces are working well together. And I've reached out uh, on my way home from Frankfurt Thursday night uh, on the, the signing die day and sent an email to the group uh, and said, I'm making good on my promise. Uh, you're going to get some dates for me very soon. We actually started getting those, those uh, responses back yesterday. The meeting may actually be uh, next Thursday afternoon in Frankfurt in person, uh, at least an initial meeting, the meeting and the stakeholder groups will get bigger, but we're going to have conversations about how best to improve what's going on in Jefferson County. That doesn't walk us back and lead us back towards it, the days when we locked kids up because that is not only incredibly unproductive and harmful and damaging to those children and their potential as future adults, but it's also really expensive to the taxpayer. It does not solve the problem. Um, and we're going to, Maybe hopefully there'll be a different solution in 23 that we can consider that it, that's actually worth something and not a backward step. Yeah. Uh, so I think there, I, and I'm not going to let it out of my teeth. Uh, I'm going to continue to fight for as long as I'm in the legislature to make sure something like that doesn't move through. Even when I'm not in the legislature, I'll come and fuss at my former colleagues uh, and, and pray that they don't do something stupid down the road. Yeah. Well, we appreciate that. I don't know, Killian or Julie, you want to add anything to the tension <laughs> around thoughtful juvenile justice policy? Um, I'll, I'll jump in. Um, you know, uh, again, Terry, we're going to have to talk about who you're going to put me on this Zoom with. I mean, I've got Whitney here and Julie. It's <laughs> not fair. Like, <laughs> I'm single A ball here. You know, I'm little league compared to a couple of major leaguers here. But, um, you know, no, I, I agree. And the thing, as, long as, we're, as long as we're following the data, you know, media carries so much weight. And that's right. And perception is reality. And um, there's this concept, and I think it's one of the beliefs that's, um, that it's misleading to a lot of people. It's either you throw everybody in jail or you don't put anybody in jail. And so if we're not putting everybody in jail, then it has to be that we're not putting anybody in jail. And that's a lawless society. And that's not what we stand for. And that's not who we are. And that's not what's happening. And it's, it's not. That's right. We have to be, um, again, it's, it's going to be one of those things where we have people who are in it to endure the, the, the tone of it's either lawless or we lock up everybody. And we have to endure that and we have to use data and we have to be able to show how the data is either improving or we need to address things in a different way and then show how the data helps that situation improve. Um, you know, there's there's so many different things that go along with that. But again, it's going to be an endurance thing. And the, the, the trend, um, the trend nationwide is sadly, 
either or, and that's not the case. I also think we should do, I mean, Killian's right. Data is important. We should also hold those that are advocating for something more severe accountable to the data themselves. In that bill, House Bill 318, there was a bill that was going to require that the criminal records of juveniles in that that uh, that offense or that commit one of those offenses in that statute 532 whatever the heck it is or i forget what the reference was or 531 <clears throat> and there's a list of the and i think everybody would agree those are the most serious crimes or among the most serious though perhaps not an exhaustive list but if you commit one of these crimes and you're convicted your record is not sealed we don't do that for any other juvenile for good reason you're a kid um whether you're 17 or you're 10, we treat juveniles differently for a reason. You've got an opportunity to change your life in a way that adults don't have. And it should be that way. Where's the data that shows revealing that criminal record does that kid any favors? Show me the data that that, that does good work. I'm certain it will make future employers feel good. It'll make you as a legislator or law enforcement officer or officer of the court feel good. You know that you're keeping a bad person. What? That's, I get that. Where's the data that shows that that's good for the child? They won't be able to find it because it doesn't exist. I think we ought to hold them accountable um, and make sure that they're they're putting actual thought into the policies that they're bringing forward. If they did, I think the data would show them their policy is wrong. Yeah, Whitney, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think the other thing that didn't get talked about a lot is that the good work of FAIR teams right now, uh, over 90% of those referrals, those diversions are being yeah. successful. So it's not as if the reforms are failing to work. If you're batting, uh, if you're scoring a, above 90% success, that's a pretty good pattern, I think. It's a fantastic uh, sign of success of this legislation and and the, really the people that make it work. Uh, from the CDWs at AOC to the other members of that multidisciplinary team, the FAIR team, um, to a county. <laughs> Every time there has been some issue that's been raised to me or flagged to me or emailed to me about some problem with Symbol 200, each and every single time it has resulted in some issue breaking down between like one of the members of that team isn't working just right. Yeah. One of the members of that team, it's not a problem with the team. It's not a problem with the the structure or the flow of things. One of the person, one of the people we're counting on to do their job isn't doing their job right. And so I, I, as soon as I get that issue or that complaint, I raise it with that relevant agency and said, look, you're getting this sort of squeaky wheel over here in this county because of this issue, possibly, would you take a look at it? And each mm-hmm. time it's been corrected or, or fixed because of Great some move. failing. That's yeah. the proper response. You don't punish kids uh, overly harshly just because uh, we feel like we're not doing good. The numbers show that we are doing a fantastic job keeping kids out of court, and that crime is not resulting from that. We are not seeing some sort of rash or increase at all in juvenile crime statewide. Um, and we've done that without putting them in, in custody. Um, I, I think that should be talked about a lot more. I stood up, Julie may not remember it, but I stood up in caucus as one of my caucus members who is known for being tough on crime sort of guy, uh, complained about um how juvenile crime is just running rampant around the state. And I, I called him out for being wrong because he is. It's absolutely not. You show me the data that, that backs that up. And of course, you can't because it's not happening. Uh, I think we just have to speak truth to that nonsense as much as possible. Okay. 
So I want to try to get to two quick things, and then I know Mahak's going to wrap up. But And you all are nailing this because the folks we have on the call know Frankfurt. So that's why I'm keeping this at a macro level. Uh, I left the Tuesday before Thanksgiving after we testified at the Commission on Race, and I was so emboldened. Uh, Representative Timoney is on there, Senator Westerfield. Julie has long been a a leader in thinking about equity. Uh, That group left that meeting with a a list of really good common ground policy ideas. And my only question was, is it going to be an omnibus bill or is the House going to carry three and the Senate going to carry three? And not a daggone thing happened from those recommendations. Nothing. So. I want to know why uh, and what should we as a group, do we as a group continue to count on the commission on race or that was a skilled rhetorical device to say that we're going to work on it? Cause this group, I think is all serious about uh, issues of equity. I know the three of y'all are, so I'm going to go, Julie, I'm going to start with you and then go to the two members. What in the heck happened and what should we do about it? You know, I'll be, uh, I'll be honest, Terry. First of all, I don't think it was a skilled rhetorical kind of play um, because, you know, the three people that are on this call are really passionate about the equity um, equity issues. And, you know, we seem to talk a lot about diversity. But in my opinion, the real rubber that meets the road is equity. And um, and so that's very near and dear to my heart. I think part of the answer is bandwidth. Um, because we had so much stuff come up. The other part of it is, is just me. Like, look at me. I care about those issues. They're important to me. They're important to a lot of the people that I represent. And I didn't bring any bills relative to that. I didn't push that narrative. Um, And so, you know, I'm responsible as well. And why didn't I do that? You know, I'm sitting here thinking about it as you're asking the question And really, honestly, I didn't do it because, number one, I didn't really know what to do. And number two, I was covered up with other things. I think it's going to be really important if we push that equity, uh, that value of equity. We need to we need to figure out who our champions are. We need to figure out who is our best person in the Senate and our best person in the House to be able to navigate that because there it's a, it's a tough thing to talk about and people immediately take offense. If you go, Hey, listen, I want to talk to you about maybe some inequities that we see in, mm-hmm. in certain <laughs> institutions. They go, well, no, no, no. Our, ours are fine. Ours are yeah, fine. That's a great point. That's a great point. So we have, we have to figure out how, who that right person is to push that issue forward. I don't know, Representative. You got any comments on what what we should do about this? Well, I think it's um, I, I'm I'm going to say the wrong thing here, and I I already know this. I'm just <laughs> I just I I just talk. Um, I I think that the I'll echo some of the things that, that Julie had said there as far as bandwidth. It's going to take the right person that's going to understand the issues. And, and I don't know if that's on our side in the house, there's 75, you know, members in my caucus. 
And I don't know who that person necessarily, I, I don't know what group of people would be comfortable talking about that. The equity, the equity, and we'll talk about race in general. It's a very uncomfortable topic for a lot of people. And, and I think as the, the farther down the road, and I don't like labeling things what they are, but cancel culture. You say the wrong thing talking about race, you're done. Mm-hmm. Right. Great point. That's scary. Right. That's very scary. I mean, how did I preface what I was going to say on, just on this question? Mm-hmm. I said, I'm going to say the wrong thing. And um, I, I'm just, I'm glad that people, whenever I talk about race, they understand, well, he has 25 years of working in equity. Like, he is not shied away from these issues. He's not shying away from the topics. He's not scared of these things. So I'm almost given a pass when I talk about race. However, people from more rural areas that don't have as much experience talking about race are scared to death to talk about it. Right. Great point. Great point. Like anything that is worth doing in a, in a social perspective, and I put this in the social realm, the more experiences people have with those topics and understanding those things, the more comfortable they are to <clears throat> start legislating on them. I think that this that I think that that's what that's what we're up against. I think that that's um, that's the big obstacle we have to overcome. Okay, Whitney, I remember on that uh, Tuesday before Thanksgiving, you zoomed in and actually were a key voice on going amen on some of those. Uh, what uh, you you heard, Julian and Killian? Any other thoughts, or do you think they summarized it? No, I think they said it well. There's no excuse. Uh, we should have brought uh, those recommendations forward. We should have done anything in that regard, but we didn't. Uh, If there were bills filed by the minority caucus in either chamber, they didn't see any attention or the light of day. And I'm as responsible for that as everybody else. There's 138 of us. And we found ways to file 1,100 bills about all kinds of things, a great many of which uh, are not at all as important and as significant and as consequential as equity uh, initiatives. And we didn't file uh, or or push the bills that we should have. There are lots of reasons you can blame for it. Uh, I think the the bottom line is that it, it wasn't a priority for enough people to do. That doesn't make it. I'm just I'm not at all yeah. justifying it or saying it's right. But that's the that's the cold hard truth there. Yeah. Uh, pre- we were focused on the budget. We were focused on, um, and that really can't underscore enough how big a distraction the budget. It's important. I call it a distraction because it is because it's just one bill, just like the other 1100, but it gets uh, the lion's share of the attention and and a lion's share of the leadership's attention, uh, both on the the substance of the bill itself and of the the machinations to get the bill into the final shape it's in. Uh, And it, it impacts the political uh, capital that is spent or saved everywhere else in the session. Um, but that doesn't mean we can't also push bills through that, that are significant and consequential that don't spend any money. And we should have, uh, it was a missed opportunity. Nothing, nothing but that. Okay. So I appreciate all of your candor on that. Uh, just for everybody on the call, I'm supposed to be finished at 10:55, and then the heck's going to close, but I want you to, I want to ask you to hang in for five extra minutes because this is such a deep conversation. So, Julie, I'm going to pick on you alone on this final question for me, and then I'm going to kick it to Mahak. Uh, what we thought was a common ground arena 
was early childhood. Uh, my hypothesis is that actually early childhood advocates, and I see a Mike and a Mandy and some folks like that, is that we've got a long way to go. Uh, we hear uh, very prominent uh, legislators uh, questioning actually the, the core value of early childhood education. Uh, it seems to me that increasingly we're back to where full day K advocates, universal pre-K, childcare folks are very bifurcated. Uh, Julie, that's something that I think the child welfare people have overcome. So uh, again, just straight talk. Uh, my hypothesis is that early childhood needs to kind of draw back and reconceptualize our talking points, or we're going to continue to get uh, bifurcation. Uh, is that right? Wrong uh, advice to folks who are all about all those elements of early childhood? Yeah, and you know, I think that I think that you're right on some of those um, assumptions. I think that um, early childhood, as you know, we funded pre-K, and that was fully funded pre-K. That was a tough one because, um, you know, if you look at the um, if budgets of all the various districts, that everybody was funding pre-K except for one. And so, you know, there was like, well, if we give them more money than, you know, so there's always that money dynamic. But but full day kindergarten, I mean, I'm sorry, full day kindergarten. So full day kindergarten is, I think, a, um, a worthy goal. And the districts were doing it. We're going to help them do it hopefully a little bit better. But that was an easy one. Now, universal pre-K is different. Um, because I think that pre-K in Louisville means something different than pre-K in Butler County. They are, it's just not a one size fits all. And so when you look at how you make universal, universal pre-K um, kind of a, a holistic uh, bill, it's just, it's too difficult. Um, and then you get all the, um, all the people who are currently involved in the space. And a lot of times, Terry, I mean, if there was some, organized mantra coming out of that community, I think we would listen more, but there really is a very disjointed message coming out of that universal pre-K community. Okay. Um, nice. So, I, I mean, I, I guess my suggestion is let's get those uh, players back together. Let's kind of massage that message. Let's figure out what how we can move the ball forward. I'm not even talking about getting the ball in the end zone. Let's just see how we can move it forward five yards, 10 yards. Um, but we need to get, uh, I think, a better message. Yeah. Well, and Terry, if, if, if I may jump in on sure. this, you know, a universal pre-K is definitely, um, if you were just to say that <laughs> as a topic, it's going to be one of those topics that, ever, yeah, but the devil's in the details. How it's done is the critical piece. And about midway through session, Julie, I'm not sure if you saw it or Whitney, if you saw it, there was an article that came out about a study on uh, pre-K in Nashville, the Nashville schools, and how um, by the third grade, there was actually an adverse effect to students who had gone through pre-K versus not pre-K. Same neighborhood, same street, everything. And wow. that came out. And, and the way I operate is that's one study. The sample size was 300 kids. I don't think we should craft Kentucky policy based on a study that came out of Nashville. I know Tennessee, I know from a legislative standpoint, if I, I heard, well, what's Tennessee doing? What's Tennessee doing? Yeah. Once I heard it a million times. And 
I don't like Tennessee. I like Kentucky. <laughs> and I'm just going to leave it right there. Um, I think that it's worth definitely studying. And there's a lot of research out there, um, 10,000 feet up research, you know, so it's, um, it's not necessarily coming from any particular group. And I think that I, I always tend to spend most of my research time on those groups that are kind of like, hey, we don't care what you do, but this is what the data says. Mm-hmm. You know, data says this with this group. It says this for this group. Make your determination that way. I'd rather use data like that rather than, hey, in Nashville, it didn't work. Yeah. So I think we have to move smartly through it and, 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 use, um, and use the scientific method in order to, to get to the results that we need. All right. Well, thank you, Senator Adams, Westerfield, and Representative Timoney for your raw transparency on several topics that we covered. We covered a lot. Um, Just a quick recap of what we discussed. We talked about troubling issues that we saw, um, national groups coming into Kentucky because of Kentucky's attributes, the convenience of local control. We've talked about quality versus quantity on a number of bills, local justice um, issues, what happened to the race commission. And then we ended with the early childhood conversation. So that was quite a bit in a short amount of time. Um, One thing that I'm questioning, or just as we move forward to the next session and looking ahead to next session, some questions that I'm looking to to see, um, hopefully the uh, legislature answers is, how are we gonna find that middle ground for kids and families? Are we going to see more quality bills discussed rather than a higher quantity? Um, what solutions is the legislature going to propose to ensure public safety is continued to be protected, but still we're holding kids accountable and connecting them to resources? Um, additionally, who are the champions that rise to the top when we're looking at House and Senate um, leadership around equity <coughs> General Assembly members? Um, An action step that I took out is as advocates, we need to make it known um, that we need to have conversations around race. Um, And additionally, the last action step based off of this conversation that I heard um, moments ago is we need to get together and lift up research messaging and beginning conversations around building an infrastructure for early childhood. So that was just my quick uh, debrief of listening to this conversation. We want to thank you all for joining us today, especially our legislative champions for all the work that you did this session. Um, Also, we want to thank Aetna Better Health of Kentucky for their support of today's Advocate Virtual Forum. Of course, as always, we are going to follow up with an email that includes a recording of today's forum, any links that were presented or um, dropped in the chat. And like I said, thank you again for hanging in there. We appreciate all that you do. Thank you for listening to the Making Kids Count podcast with Terry Brooks. For more information and to listen to more episodes, visit kyyouth.org slash podcast. Kentucky Youth Advocates is a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization who doesn't accept government money so that we can remain truly independent. To support this podcast and our mission as the independent voice for Kentucky kids, please consider making a gift at kyyouth.org slash donate.